podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Before we kick it into the show, I want to talk to you real quick about our two great sponsors, without whom this show would not be possible. Number one, they've been there the longest, my bookie. You guys know them. They're the single greatest spot to place bets online. If you use our promo code BOYS25, you're going to get a 50% deposit bonus, and then you can make bigger and better bets. Baseball season's going. You got something to bet on every single game night. You have Final Four championship games right around the corner. Time to jump in. They have soccer. They're going to have NFL draft props. They have early college Heisman props. They have over-unders. They have literally everything you want. If you're not following them on Twitter, at BetMyBookie, you're missing out. They're giving away free money. They answer all DMs and tweets, the best customer service, and they're literally paying folks out the same week. It's the only spot to be placing bets online this spring and summer. And also, we're sponsored by our friends over at Tick Splits. It's time to get out to the K, go see the Royals, see Sporting Kansas City. You got concerts coming through Kansas City. You have all sorts of stuff. And you know what? Before you know it, football will be here. It is the single greatest spot to buy tickets online. What you see is what you pay. When you use promo code ARMCHAIR, you're getting an extra 5% off. What you see is what you pay. Guaranteed seats, guaranteed emotions. Now let's get into the show. It's the moment of the evening every K-State fan enjoys. Settle down and pour a whiskey, crack open a LaCroix. Please put your hands together and make a little noise for your favorite wildcatters, the handsome Bosco boys. And Boneheads, we are back. We're going to wrap up this, uh, you know, roller coaster of a basketball season. The only way we know how to get the guy who is battling with Matt Hall for most appearances on the show. You know him as KSU underscore fan. We call him Jimmy. You know, Jimmy, how are you doing this morning? Uh, is it snowing out in Junction City right now like it is in Kansas City? Yes, I'm doing well. Um I do not like to see the snow now that we're almost to April. That can go away quickly, but uh, otherwise, doing pretty well. Well, that's good. I like to hear it. Uh, thanks for joining us in, uh, you know, this Saturday morning. I think this might be – oh, well, we, we recorded football shows pretty early on Sunday, so uh, we, we do them pretty early, so we're, we're used to it. But it is an early morning. Uh, Grant, do you have anything to say before we hop into – uh, breaking down this, uh, you know, at times wonderful, at times painful basketball season. Jimmy, thanks for coming on again. And uh, this this snow is bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, l- luckily I think it's supposed to get up to like 44 by this afternoon, so it'll all melt away. But it's yeah. crazy that you know you have a Royals game that you know first pitch is you know, four hours away here in Kansas City, and they're going to have to worry about making sure all the snow's melted off the field first. So, you know, that's that's Kansas City and Midwest winters for you. So we'll uh, jump into it. And while this isn't going to be exclusively about uh, that round of 64 uh, loss to the Anteaters, I do want to kind of gauge what you were thinking for a couple of these questions. Uh, you know, first off, what was your initial 
reaction to how that season ended, how that game transpired and that loss? I mean, it was just really disappointing because it was a re I mean, in some ways it, it just was a repeat of 2013. You win the league, you're, you're playing a, you're a four seed and then you get beat in the first round and you kind of have plenty of chances down the stretch. You know, in the last four minutes, you have chances to, to tie it or even take the lead and you don't do it. And, you know, and this, we knew it was going to be kind of an uphill battle and probably hoping for a repeat of last year was, was a little bit silly and, and overly optimistic. If you were thinking, well, we did it with Dean last year, because odds are you're probably going to, run into that game where you don't make shots and we just happened to do it in the first round this year. And, and for, for just frustrating to see the the seniors, especially go out like that. Uh, but it's disappointing. It didn't ruin the season for me, but the finality of ending the season is always tough. That first half was going smoothly at one point. How was it that, you know, K state got out to that 10 point lead? Was it as simple as making shots? Yeah, I mean, it really, it really was. I mean, I, I broke down each half, really, both halves. But the, the first half, that first 14 minutes, we, we you know, we'd scored 28 points on 22 possessions, which is a really good rate. We were 50% from three, had four turnovers, but not bad. 10 of 17 on field goals overall, you know, had the lead by 10. And in that last six minutes, we didn't make a shot. 0 for 11. And we shot a bunch of threes, six threes, missed them all. Um, and the frustrating thing is I think we were playing really hard. We had one possession where we had four missed threes and three offensive rebounds. We'd miss a three, get a rebound, miss a three, get a rebound. We did that four times and didn't make one of them. And then, you know, the only points we had were when McGurl got fouled and got to the free throw line and made those two free throws. So, I mean, that was that was huge. Um, defensively, we were, we were decent the whole half. I mean, 30, 30 points is probably more than we wanted, but um, really it was it was that stretch where we missed 11 shots in a row in the half that really kind of did us in and made it a ball game. I think, you know, if you just make a couple of those shots and you go into the half up six or eight or even five, you, I think this team probably wins that game. But once we gave them momentum, it was going to be a battle. So the last thing we're going to touch on about that game specifically is the, uh, you know, the the number one thing everyone was talking about. It wasn't even just Kansas City sports talk. It was national sports talk. It was all over the boards. And it comes down to how Bruce handled Barry. Um, where do you stand on how that all transpired? Well, you always, you, I mean, no doubt it's, you know, it'd be simplistic to say, you, you don't want your best player on the floor because clearly having him off the floor for 15 minutes wasn't ideal. But, you know, really I look back at the, that first half and, uh, you know, even when he initially goes out, we give up a little bit of a run, seven to four run, and they cut the lead to one. I think it was 19 to 18 or something like that. And then we go on 11, two to 11 to two run without him for five minutes played probably our best basketball of the entire game. And that's not saying it was due to Barry or whatever, but we just played really good basketball to get that 10 point lead. And, and that was also without um, Barry on the floor. And then 
you know, I, I, I would say if I was being critical in the first half, I would be critical of a Bruce decision, but it wasn't that. It was putting two bigs on the floor. We tried Trice with Mac, and then we tried Levi with Mac, and that was when uh, we gave up the 9-0 run to, to cut it to one was when we tried to play with two bigs at the same time. You know, we we had our best stretch of offensive rebounding in that, that stretch, but we couldn't make a shot. And for whatever reason, the dynamics were messed up. I thought we'd probably have to play two bigs at some point, um, uh, but we just didn't get it done. And, you know, you look at the whole game, I would say we outplayed them for 25 minutes of that game, uh, 14 minutes in the first half and first 10 minutes of the second half. But it didn't take much in the tournament. To, to, to lose a game, and, and they had a run of four made threes in, in the course of six possessions in the second half with Barry on the floor, and that turned the game. Was They made they had a stretch of making shots, and we never had the stretch to, of making shots to match it down the stretch. And In a tournament, and you know, in a 65-possession game like we had, that's all it takes to, to turn it and then lose. So uh, one more thing on Barry, and this is, you know, maybe calling myself out, but I was very critical of what I considered his half-hearted defensive effort in that second half, and I hypothesized that it had to do with uh, those two fouls that he got in the first half, and he was overcompensating, basically making a point that, hey, I might hold something back on defense because I'm not getting another foul. Was I making too much out of that in the heat of the moment, or do you think there's some validity to that comment? Well, I I didn't go back and watch that that second half, especially that run. I I mean I, I recall I think there was one where where uh, one of those little guards got space because Gary was go, uh, Barry was guarding Hazard and he made two of those threes in that stretch. And I remember one where it looked like Barry made a mistake on the, on the defensive end, perhaps, I don't know, you know, what, if they had a switch on or something, but then the other one, the guy just rose up and made a shot over him. Um, I mean, really, I would, I didn't think his defense was, was overly bad. I, you know, I do think that's a valid talking point. And even, uh, Lowry, when he was on with uh, KSO the other night, that's the point he made is Barry, when he plays with two fouls, has not played well in his career, and that's what they go off of is what they've seen a player do, whereas Cardi came back in with two fouls, and you know he said Cardi plays the same all the time. So those coaches, I mean, they have reasons for what they do, and I know it's overly conservative, but you know, I know half the team, or at least a quarter of the teams in the Sweet 16 – have a two foul rate of playing their players very similar to, to Bruce. So it's not like some way out of whack thing. Lots of good coaches have the same rule. So it's, I think, I think it became an easy talking point for some of our fans to say, this is why we lost. Where in reality, we, we lost more in my mind because we didn't play very good defense in the second half than our offense. Couldn't agree more. Let's get away from that game and started talking about the season as a whole. <clears throat> so most folks would simplify this team and say it was a team that almost always had good defense and on special nights they could be an elite team. Always had an okay offense and on horrible nights could be an absolutely embarrassing team. Is that is that a fair representation of these guys? I, I think it really is. I think, you know, you look at this defense, it was top five Ken Palm efficiency defense in the country. 
the second best efficiency defense at K-State in the three-point era. So if you go back to 87, I think, was the first year of the three-point line. It, it will probably be one of the best top five defenses all of us see in our lifetime. I mean, it was really, really good the way we played defense. And perhaps that's part of why the offense struggled. But offense, you know, it, it finished in the middle. Uh, <clears throat> I think it did creep back into the top 100 in Ken Palm. Well, right at 100, 101 in the country in Ken Palm, uh, offensive efficiency. Only 20th on that list of 30-plus seasons, the three-point era. Um, and, and really the key was, to me, Last year we had the best two point percentage ever at K State. I don't. I think most people don't even realize that. And even the year before that, I think it was the third best two point percentage ever at K State. So that kind of made up for not being able to shoot threes very well. But we dropped our two point percentage dropped four and a half percent this year from fifty three percent to about forty eight percent. So you hmm. you make you make that drop, and that's that's a huge factor. And then it was magnified because we were a 33% three-point shooting team. Um, and you really look at our best basketball of the year. when It was when Dean came back and we went on that run and won the Big 12 or shared the Big 12. We shot 36% from three. And uh, and then you go back and lose Dean in our last two losses against Iowa State. We were exactly 8 of 27 in both games from three. We shot 30% from three. So really, to me, um, we, we needed – to have more better three-point shooting because we also shot more threes than we ever have at K-State. I think 38% of our shots were threes this year, which is a trend in all of college basketball. It's not just us. It, I don't know. It seems like it becomes synergistic, like a synergy among college basketball that everybody's shooting threes. And I think they've Ken Palm's talked about in the tournament, even on his podcast, that the three-point rate in the tournament is over 40%, I think. So... With with that drop in two point percentage, and then not being at least a thirty five percent three point percentage team for the season, it, I think it just caught up with us eventually. And we, you know, to to make another run, we needed to be a better shooting team, and we just weren't. Yeah, I I myself did not even realize how you know elite the two point field goal percentage was last year. And yeah, you know when you when you depend so much on that, and it drops off that uh. That'll do it. <laughs> That'll yeah, do it. Huge. Um, so you know that might be you know that almost fits into what I was about to ask. But if you have something else, uh, please do share. What is something that like a generic fan probably missed that this team did very well? But then on the same way, something that a generic fan might have missed that this team just did not do well. Well, the, the biggest thing that jumps out that we did well that most people I don't think really. I mean, I think some people noticed it, but we, we became a much, much better rebounding team this year. Last year, we were uh, number 301 in the country in defensive rebounding percentage, and this year we jumped to 64. So that's that's a pretty dramatic improvement when you jump over 200 spots <clears throat> in a category in the country. And then, you know, and, and I, always, I always talk about that with, with uh, Bruce's defense and, and Lowry's defense is that we – you know, we turned people over at a high rate, and uh, this year it was top 15 nationally at 23% uh, turnover rate for opponents. Um, and it was actually the best turnover rate of any K-State team in the Ken Palm era at K-State, going even back to Frank's teams, which forced turnovers really well too. So 
those two things really stuck out of things we did well, you know, things that we didn't do well. The two point percentage is, you know, the key one for me. Um, but another thing we didn't do really well is, is we dropped in our free throw rate, not our percentage percentage dropped too, but we didn't get to the line nearly as much. Um, last year, our, our free throw rate wasn't great. It was average 161 uh, in Ken Palm, 33.8%. And this year it dropped to number 247. So about a, hmm. a spot jump of a free throw rate of only 31%. So we simply didn't get to the line very much. And, and I'll get to individual stuff later, but really a big part of that was Barry's free throw rate dropped a bunch this year. And I think, you know, we'll talk more about what, you know, his possible injury was, but I think that played into it. Um, <clears throat> and then, even though we improved on offensive rebounding, um, it was still our the second worst offensive rebounding team only to last year in the Bruce era. So, again, offensive rebounding is uh, I talked about three point rate or number three point shots being up in college basketball. Offensive rebounding continues to go down every year um, for whatever reason the last ten years. So, it's a trend in college basketball not to go after offensive boards as much, but. Really, the last two years, Bruce's teams have, have dropped way off of what his typical teams have done during his career. Jimmy, you had a good chart late into the non-con season that pointed out how almost every player had stayed stagnant you know, year mm-hmm. over year and even regressed a little bit. With the entire year over, what players ended up improving over the 2018 season, and did any players end up taking a step back? The biggest... The biggest improvement by far was good player, great player, Cam Stokes. I mean, he had huge, huge jumps in both his season and just Big 12 only numbers. Efficiency jumped, scoring rate jumped, shooting percentage jumped. Um, it makes sense. I mean, last year he was injured when he clearly wasn't 100%. Um, so, but, but to me, you know, we've talked, we've, we've all talked about how we've all pretty much been pretty good camp supporters, but I, I'm happy to see that for him because, you know, he, he had his best season ever at K-State and he finished on a high note and really proved a lot of doubters wrong, which, which I like to see, especially when we ha- we always have a player. It seems that we have a certain segment of our fan base that they want to bash for whatever reason. And usually there's some like very non, non-objective thing about them that, somebody mentions on a message board and then it becomes fact, which, you know, kind of did with Cam, I think. And so him having a great season, um, X, he improved in big 12 play quite a bit overall. He didn't, um, but his big 12 numbers were good. Very big jump in rebounding, which kind of makes sense for our rebounding numbers, um, maintained a pretty good, his three point percentage. Um, but again, his biggest drop was two point percentage, which makes sense as well. Um, Mike McGurl overall was down, but he made a huge jump in just Big 12 numbers. Very, uh, very good scoring numbers, very good shooting numbers. You know, 42 or 3 percent from three in Big 12 games, uh, shooting almost two a game. So um, he he improved, and he was one of the only players we had that actually improved on two point percentage. Barry and Dean both dipped a little bit this year overall. Um, Dean. Dean had his biggest drop in two-point percentage, which uh, – let me look real quick here. His drop in two-point percentage was 7%. So, 
Dean had to, you know, he had a drop there for whatever reason. Maybe probably probably a lot to do with scouting reports and how people played him, and maybe a little bit of his injury issues. Um, but he rebounded better, still over forty percent from three, so he was really good. Barry had some slight shooting drops, but like I said before, his his biggest thing was he dropped ten percent free throw rate. Um, but you know, as as I look at those two, I you know. I can't complain. They're both first-team Big 12 players, so they both had really good seasons. But clearly, Dean's injury was a factor for this team. And then Barry, whatever he had going on down the stretch, which clearly changed you know, his driving, which changed him getting to the free throw line, which changed the way he scored. And he had to rely more on <clears throat> long twos and threes, probably more than he wanted. Then the last couple that I'll mention, Cardi had some slight drops. Um but, you know, he missed a good stretch of the Big 12. So I thought, you know, he played his best basketball in the Big 12 tournament. Um, and then the biggest regression offensively was Mack. And he had significant drops in scoring and two-point percentage. And plus he turned the ball over a lot, and uh, which were issues that we've talked about all year. But he made big improvements in rebounding rate. And we were uh, – he was the best rebounding rate on the team besides Trice, who had limited minutes. But um, Max's improvement on rebounding helped this team improve in rebounding. So, you know, there's kind of good and bad there. And then Levi was, you know, had uh, some drops, but his number, his usage rate is pretty low. So it's hard to say a lot about Levi. But the biggest drop was Mac, and the biggest improvement was, was Cam by far. Well, uh, I'm going to pull a little bit of an audible, something that I didn't have on here, but I do want to take time to speculate. You know, do you have any insider from your basketball eye? What do you think the issue or un, unsung injury of Barry Brown was? We heard Bruce, you know, mention that, oh, he's been banged up, and I think his play down the stretch really proved that out to be true. Do you have any insight to what that might be? I, you know, I. <clears throat> I mean, he wore the knee pad, which was was just a normal knee pad. I mean, I don't. It wasn't like a knee brace that you see, <clears throat> but clearly he wore that knee pad for a reason. Um, I didn't think it was a big deal when I initially saw it, and and said so. But I, I do think it was probably more than I think it was. Um, I don't know if it was some sort of deep bruising or something or. You know, or even, you know, it could be something inside the knee area, meniscus or something. I, I don't want to speculate too much or something, but clearly the explosiveness and be able to cut. I think Freak said it on the board a lot, and I think he had some pretty, you know, good insight that he clearly wasn't as explosive cutting and didn't trust cutting on that knee the last <clears throat> month of the season, and it showed in, in how he, he played and his inability to get to the rim nearly as much as he did. So that, that would be my speculation. I don't know. What do you guys think? Yeah, I was thinking it had to, had to be something uh, in either knee or maybe hip, something that caused the explosiveness. Because if you go back and watch that Iowa State game, I can't recall a, the, the, set, the Iowa State game in Kansas City. I can't recall yeah. a single game in his you know career where he was just demolished at the rim multiple times. Yeah. Uh, because he, he, to his credit, you know, he tried to go to the rim 
two or three different times yeah, in that game, but he got just stuffed each time. And that kind of, you know, after that third time, he didn't even attempt it again. Yeah. Uh, and we even saw it, you know, when he, he decided that he was going to, uh, you know, wing out and shoot a three pointer and transition instead of going to the yeah. rim on three on two situations. So that's my only hypothesis. Grant, do you have any, any, uh, other idea? Um, I mean, we could speculate on what the injury was, but I mean, it doesn't really matter. I think it's pretty obvious that he was injured or carrying some sort of knock for the last month. And I mean, I noticed it on the defensive end. He was not yeah. nearly as good of an on ball defender as we're used to seeing. And, you know, he would get caught out of position a few times. Yeah. So I would agree with that too. Seems pretty obvious to me that he wasn't at full strength, which is just unfortunate. This team has been <laughs> through the ringer with injuries. Yeah, they have. <clears throat> Uh, and then one more audible that I'm going to do, and I'm actually going to start with Grant on this question because he's been the uh, target of this on Twitter a couple times with the whole, uh, you know, roller coaster ride of Bruce himself. You know, everyone came into this season, Big Daddy Bruce, Confident Bruce, King Bruce, all that type of stuff. And then you saw a lot of folks try to wane on that. A lot of folks started throwing shade. Uh, when we had our struggles in the non-con. But sure enough, with the perfect uh, representation of this season, everyone jumped right on board during conference season, and now we are seeing um, a lot of detractors again. So I'm going to start with Grant. First question is, what is your opinion on the just this one season snapshot of the evolution of Bruce's approval ratings and then – the second question when you're done with that, you have been targeted, I've been targeted as folks who uh, were were notoriously anti-Bruce. Um, you know, people straight up adding us on Twitter, people basically referencing us behind paywalls in their own podcasts, etc. So you can answer them honestly in whatever order you want. You can do number two, then one. But what is your take on everything when it comes to uh, Bruce's approval amongst the fans and then this almost manufactured uh, controversy about some fans coming around. Bruce is an interesting character. Uh, I'm not necessarily sure that it's unique to K-State um, being fickle fans <laughs> in terms of but, – but, but Bruce is an odd – it's an odd uh, case study because it does seem like it's – a little bit uh, more in extreme going back and forth. But, I mean, I hope – I think that a lot of stuff that I saw was just uh, residual from a really disappointing loss, and people have kind of come off of that. But – and then, there, of course, there's that Barry Brown topic that people like to pile on and put pretty much the entire loss on, on that one decision, which I think is very silly. But that just goes to show how, you know – People are just super reactionary with a lot of things, so I, I don't know. I'm not sure that it's really – the pendulum has swung back as far as it once was, you know. I just – people are more patient next year because we're definitely going to go through some, some trials next year, and I don't want to see – a third into the season, people calling for Bruce's head because um, that's just going to be ridiculous and it creates uh, such a toxic environment almost immediately. So, as far as the second thing, I mean, 
I don't understand why people would be. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Unless people haven't lis- don't listen to the podcast, I get why they're attacking us. But we've said a million times. We even shit. We interviewed Bruce to his face and told him that we wanted him to be fired, and we're glad that we were wrong. So I don't really know why people continue <laughs> to bring this up. I mean, even fuck Fitz. <laughs> Tim Fitzgerald was adding me one day, but very clearly misunderstanding the jokes. So mm-hmm. I don't know, man. Who cares? Fuck him. <laughs> uh, Jimmy, so while you probably aren't uh, as targeted as the two of us, um, you know, wh- what is it, what are your thoughts on almost this manufactured uh, controversy of, Fans, you know, flipping their uh, quote unquote allegiances from being burn it down to then screaming Big Daddy Bruce. Uh, is this just a very weird uh, thing that one specific or two specific people decided to try to make a controversy? Is there something more to that? Well, I, I think it's uh, it's mainly more specific, but there's a little bit to it. I mean, I think Bruce is always going to have this issue because so many people didn't like the hire. So many people got upset. I mean, I'm, I'm on, I, w- I was in the group. I mean, we talked about it before of, you know, in the, in the middle 14 and 15, you know, there just were a lot of unhappy fans of what was going on. And even, and even this year during at halftime of the West Virginia game, I mean, many of us were pretty darn close to uh, losing it. So, <clears throat> but, there are a certain segment that, I mean, there, there are, there is a segment that still, even when things were going well this year, didn't like Bruce still. So, I mean, it's weird. It's like, I I always equate it to people that say high school was the best time of their life. It's like Frank's gone and he's been gone seven years now, guys. I mean, you, you got to move on at some point. And I I think there's a segment of people that really almost aren't even case eight fans anymore because of Bruce, which is just odd to me, but, um, I think, I mean, it's always going to be that way. And Grant's right. I think we're going to, you know, it's going to be stupid, but we're going to hear it a little bit next year if if we go on a four or five game slide, which, you know, could happen during Big 12 play just because of our youth. So it's, I think it's just part of Bruce now. And, you know, I, you know, I posted this week that, hey, Bruce is our guy, you know, because there's a big thread comparing Bruce with, with Beard at Texas Tech. And it's 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 fine to talk about Chris Beard to me because I think he's a really good coach and, and what he's done there is, is pretty significant and almost special because he's done so well so quickly. But that doesn't mean we get rid of Bruce. I mean, I think people get caught up in those comparisons and they think, well, we got to go find a Beard. No, we've got a good coach. And... And I sincerely believe Bruce is a good coach, and he's going to have other good seasons at K-State. So, um, And we can't worry about what we don't have. And too many people, I think, get caught up concerning themselves with things that they don't have or things that they have no control over, and it's a waste of energy and time to me. I would like to add real quick that, you know, also questioning a head coach and being unhappy with results, you know, doesn't make you a bad fan. Um, No. Absolutely and it's, not. It's it's super annoying to see the pendulum swinging back and forth so often. But you know, you know, let's say in the future, I say, hey, I think it's time to move move Bruce on. That doesn't necessarily make me insane or wrong. You know, it's all relative. 
The yeah. goal is to be less reactionary and less yes. extreme on a micro and a macro level. It's yeah, just people just get so gung-ho on – I mean, yeah, you're right. There are people that are like – it's. it doesn't matter what it takes. I mean, I think Bruce could win a national title, and they're still gonna, not going to like him. It's, it's There's nothing you can do for some people. No, no. Yep, I think that is all correct. Um, so now uh, we'll, we'll get back on script a little bit. We'll start uh, going around the pod. We'll start with Jimmy. We'll go to Grant, and then I'll add anything if I feel necessary. So the first thing I want to hear is uh, ultimately who was the biggest disappointment and who did not live up to your preseason expectations the most this year. So we'll start Jimmy, then Grant, then I'll see if I have anything different. I mean, it's, 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 t- I'd say the biggest one, um, is Mac. Mac's consistency scoring and the turnovers were frustrating. Um, I do think, I don't, I mean, I think we have a lot of fans that think he's a terrible player. I don't think that at all. I think he's a pretty good post, but, you know, and then staying on the floor with foul trouble were all issues he had, but <coughs> his drop in ability to score was big and, you know, it would have been nice to have. Um, and, and this one really isn't fair, but X a little bit, cause I kind of expected a big jump this year in, in many ways, he was pretty much the same player as he was last year, which is still a really good player. I'm not, I'm, I don't want to bash the kid, but I thought he would be the difference maker this year, um, for us. And then, um, I think it's injury related, but Barry's, Barry's last month of the season, you know, I thought he really was in position to be Big 12 Player of the Year and still got first team. But I think, obviously, that injury really prevented that and hurt us even in in our last game. So I would say those three. Grant, what do you say? Um, <clears throat> I'll take the obvious answer. I think Trice was a pretty big oh, disappointment. That's a good one. You know, yeah. I, think he, I think he's one of those guys that falls in the category of being a victim of – hype and legend, but also, you know, the mystery of not seeing him play, which is unfair because, you know, anytime you pull a guy from Juco, you need to be very wary because mm-hmm. it's just such a massive jump of competition. Um, so he was probably overhyped, which is not fair, but he basically went missing for <laughs> over half the season, and, yeah. and he's so one-dimensional, so I don't know. I would have liked to see more out of him, and I'll leave the rest for you, Scott. Yeah, I don't disagree with anything you guys said. Um, I, I will say this, if and I think I did say this after the Oklahoma State game. I think at that point in the season for me it was Cartier Jada um, because for I believe the first you know half of that season uh, he di- he didn't live up to my own personal uh, you know expectations of him because you know I'm a massive Cardi fan and I was thinking. He was going to have this step up, and uh, maybe not because I was always a Cam guy. I, I always wanted Cam to start, but I was thinking Cardi would, you know, push, uh, you know, Cam and really make that a tough decision for Bruce. But I don't think that ever really manifested because right when he started getting it going with back to back to back really great games, he then gets hurt for the remainder of the regular yeah. season. He did bounce back big in postseason play. And I have massive, you know, hopes and dreams for him for his final two years. But um, just to be different, that's kind of where I landed. So that's a good one. I, uh, I would so, agree with all that. 
Yeah. So we'll uh, flip it to the other side, and this might be honestly a little bit tougher, but was there anyone who exceeded your expectations for the year? I mean, I'd, I'd say Cam. I mean, Cam was a really good player for you know most of the year and uh, really a key. I mean, when you look at losing Cardi, Dean's injuries, and then Barry's injuries, Cam was a pretty key component of winning the Big 12 to me is the way he played and, you know, fairly consistent Big 12 play. So I would I would definitely go with Cam as the one that jumped up to me. Grant, where do you stand? Grant, where do you stand? Hello, I'm sorry. I had my mic on mute. Um <laughs> I'm not even going to try to be different. Uh, Cam exceeded my expectations as well. Um, I knew he was good, but I didn't think he – I honestly thought he was, you know, our best player. In terms of consistency, you know, without him, we would not have won the title. I believe that fully. Yep, I, I agree with you guys. I, I had big hopes for Cam coming into this season. So, um, again, just to be a little different, I'm going to have to – cherry pick a couple games but there were a handful of games and moments where levi stockard really stepped up um and gave us some big minutes some points uh so i again i think ultimately i think it does come down to cam because so many folks had him as you know the fourth some folks even fifth and the haters probably would even say sixth best player on this team when he proved you know time and time if you want to go consistently you know, you knew what you were getting from Cam game in, game out. And uh, you couldn't say that, you know, for many other guys this season. Um, so, number nine. So, uh, you know, let's go around. Who is your official, you know, MVP for this season, the most valuable player? Um, I, well, I, well, I said all that about Cam. I do think he was the key. I, I, I still give it to Dean. I'd, I'd go co with Dean Amberry. I think. Winning the Big 12, there were stretches where both of them were, one or the other was our best player on any given night. And, uh, you know, Cam had the consistency to keep us in it, but but those two were still special. Those two were both first-teamers. Barry was still the heart and soul of his team. And then Dean, I mean, the offense was clearly much, much better when he was in. Um, and I've got, you know, the numbers with, with him. And when he came back, we were – <clears throat> until he got hurt again we were at 1.07 offensive efficiency and then in all our games without dean this year we were 0.95 so that's a huge drop off without dean in the lineup i'm gonna go ahead and continue to ride the cam train and give him the mvp trophy for the cats of the 2019 season uh just for his consistency his selflessness, his extremely well-rounded game, Cam. I think he's our guy. He's our glue guy. Yeah, I, I agree. If you if the award was glue guy, but if you go, you know, by the verbiage of you know the statement, most valuable player, I think it has to be Dean Wade, and I don't actually think it's close. Uh, Jimmy, you said it when he was healthy, like one hundred percent healthy. I mean, what games did we? lose i mean a&m and mm-hmm. tulsa right yeah and i mean and, and lawrence well i i mean because <laughs> wasn't was lawrence when did was that was that before the iowa state game then because i'm because 
I, I I think he really got hurt again in that Iowa State game oh, where okay. he it was after he the Iowa sat. State game. Yeah, so I again maybe I'm cherry picking just to make myself yeah. uh, feel better. I because I, I when he came out of that Iowa State game, I don't think he truly was, you know, even eighty five percent or eighty percent again that season. Um, so I you know I again maybe I'm stretching out his quote in unquote what? In, in what way like health you just think health yeah, wise I mean, I mean cuz he came out of that game and you know in if you look at what he did yeah. in Big 12 play from when he came back to after to after that Iowa State game I think it is two different Dean White pictures Yeah I'm, I'm looking right so, now you that's a good point he from Oklahoma the first time after the first Iowa State game to that game, his lowest point total was 12 points. And then he had one 20-point game after he that Iowa State game, but otherwise he had 11, 9, 8, 6, 10, and 9. So that's – you made a really good point there, Scott. Yeah, so, I, you know, and again, I don't, I don't think we'll ever truly know what happened in that Iowa State game, but this is – I mean, I've – you know, over the last couple of days recently have thought when he came out of that Iowa State game, I'm, I'm almost getting to the point where I think, hey, that might have been, you know, something a lot more serious than they led on to believe. And he toughed it out. And then, you know, that Oklahoma game just, you know, snapped, yeah. uh, snapped his foot. So I don't know. That's that's a, you know, a shadow theory I'm going to hold on to for the rest of my that's life. That's interesting. So. It, it could that could be true, but. I, I mean, that's funny because, I mean, the KU game, obviously, he didn't play very well. But Baylor, TCU, and Oklahoma, like that stretch, that was like physically maybe the bounciest I've seen Dean Wade. Like, I mean, he just looked absurd against Baylor at home, was really good against TCU. But you're right. Statistically, he did take a drop. So maybe maybe he was yeah. hurt. I mean, and again, yeah. it might—I might be just, you know, holding on to one small little thing to push this theory because you're right. You know, he was dunking on people, he was jumping around. So, you know, maybe my theory isn't correct, but that's something that's kind of come to me the last couple of days. I have no idea <clears throat> if it's valid at all, but you know, those are my thoughts. And if folks don't like it, they can uh, just <laughs> tune me out. I don't care. Uh, so the next one, and I, I think this is an interesting one, and. I, you know, because we're all KSO guys and uh, enjoy the, you know, rapport that Chris Lowry and Matt have. I don't know if that leads us to be higher on Chris Lowry than most people. But do you think this might be the year we lose Chris Lowry to a head coaching job? You know, there was the rumors last year that he probably could have made the jump if he wanted to. Um, so I, I got to ask the question, is this the offseason we see Chris take that step? I I would say it's definitely possible. I mean, he's he's obviously been a really good assistant. You know, he had a couple good years his first time around at Southern Illinois. The, the only thing I would say is I think, I mean, that would be his ceiling job right now is to go back to, you know, a mid-major. I don't know if, I don't think a Power 5 school would pick him up. So my only thing would be is if he wants a Power 5 job, his his best bet probably is to wait out Bruce and try to replace him. So that that just depends on what goes into his thinking on that. If he wants to go mid major out again, or does, does he want to be a power five coach? He probably should just stay here and replace Bruce. Oh man, I'm gonna say 
I'm going to say no. I think you cut Chris Lowry and he bleeds purple. And I almost going to say that, uh, you know, his wife went viral dancing on TV representing the cats. So he's as good as a lock for staying. <laughs> well, I, I agree with you. And I this is the there's one spot that I think uh, if it opens up again um, and who, who knows if it will during this time. But I think that St. Louis University would be idiots if the time happened that their job was open again and they didn't go after him with all the connections he has in the St. Louis area. I think that he, uh, you know, and and they're sitting pretty right now. So I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to take another man's job, but I think that if that job ever opened up again, I think Chris Lowry is the perfect coach for St. Louis university. Yeah, that's a good one. And Travis Ford could easily find a way to get fired again. Yeah, I mean, let's get real. I mean, we all know Ford is not a great coach, so his his pink slip is eventually coming. Yeah, he got, he so, got him the tournament this year, though. So yeah, that. It, that, that's true. I mean, but you know, he he he's uh, shown small flashes before, so I'm yeah. not a believer in him. Um, but you know, I I think uh, I, I do agree with you. <laughs> I think that if Bruce can say Bruce Weber and the Cats win the Big Twelve again in four years. You know, another cycle, say we go to three out of four, even four out of four tournaments and win the Big 12 again, Bruce retires. I actually think Chris Lowry would have a pretty good argument to try to keep keep the ball rolling. So uh, we'll see. We'll see. And uh, I, I sure hope, selfishly, that he sticks around as uh, Bruce's number one guy uh, for as long as Bruce is around. So we'll uh, jump into this one, uh, especially with all the news going on in this realm Uh, K-State has been active on the recruiting trail for 2019. Uh, They're looking at transfers. They're looking at some preps. Uh, You know, who do you think is most likely to exit to open up those extra scholarships? And what type of player do you want to see come in? Again, we'll start with fan, then we'll go grant, and then I'll I'll wrap up if I need to. Um, I I mean, to me it seems obvious that Love and or Shad – would leave because they barely got to play. Um, they, I mean, you never know with the big, but I would say, you know, both of them have been in the program a couple of years now and you kind of know what you got. So one of the, probably, I would say both those two, and if I'm speculating, then, you know, the other, the wild card would be X if he goes pro. And then, you know, you, then you could always have a, a weird transfer, um, happen, but those would be my three most likely. Um, I mean, in adding <laughs> adding to that would be redundant, so I'll just pass it to Scott. Yeah, I, I agree with everything you guys said. I'm not buying into uh, some of the rumors that are trying to be floated around about uh, anyone else. Um, we'll see if those develop. Um, you know, rumors usually there's some substance. You know, people don't make stuff up. But we'll see what happens. I agree with you, um, fan. Who do you want? What type of players, or if you have individual players, who do you want to see fill those? You know, two to maybe three, but probably two open spots. Well, the, I mean the the, stre- the stretch four that can shoot it. I mean the 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 Lehigh kid, Pat Andre, makes the most sense to me if he really wants to come here. Um, I just see him as a perfect one-year replacement for Dean. 
with his skill set. So I, I like him a lot. I mean, I, the Houston kid from UNLV is a really good player too. So, I mean, obviously I'd take him. I don't think we'd, we'd take two grad transfers, but those would be, you know, those are the two grad transfers we've been mentioned with the most so far. And then if you go high school, obviously the, the price kid seems to, to be a really good prospect that can shoot it, which I think we need. So my, my top two would be Andre and Price. Is the UNLV guy the one, the grad transfer with two to play? I, my understanding is he only has one to play, but I don't know for sure. Okay. I, I thought one of the grad transfers we were looking at had two to play, but I might have made that up. Well, um, Andre is graduating as a junior. He's only played three years at Lehigh, but I still would think he'd only have them. I don't think you get your senior year and then another grad transfer year. You no, know, I, I don't. I don't think you do either. So I, I, I might have made that up in my head. No, I think that's people have asked about that. I think that's where the confusion is: is he's a grad transfer, but he's only a junior, and so people are like, "Well, most grad transfers played four years and then play a fifth. I think he would play three years and only get a fourth. Okay, good deal. Grant, what type of player uh, do you want to see brought in, or and if you have any names? I don't really have any names, but I'd like to see a big man that plays more direct to the basket. Something that's physically imposing, you can actually draw fouls and you know block shots and just a big man that's scary. Let's get a big scary boy in here. <laughs> uh, fan, yeah. I, I will ask you this: when it comes to uh, you know roster distribution, uh, I think we've had you on. Know, we've talked about probably wasting too many scholarships on true uh, post guys who can only play the five in this offense. If you do expel Love and Shad in this offseason, all of a sudden for the 20, uh, it would be the 2020-21 season, you would only have Stockard, who is currently on this roster, that would fit that position. If you do do that, do that, how important is it to find, you know, the next guy to play that position in the upcoming recruiting class? Oh, that I mean, definitely that would put a huge importance on it. Um, it's just recruiting bigs just seems to be such a wild card for K State in general. I mean, I, you know, we just haven't had good bigs hardly ever, especially a true five. I mean, we've had you know a lot of kind of decently decent, you know, guys that are like six seven, six eight that kind of play a five because they have to, and but we. We just haven't had like six ten, six eleven guys that are back to the basket players ever. So I, I guess I'm burned by that mainly, maybe more than anything. No, I, I don't disagree. Um, the next one's going to be a little bit more rapid fire. I'm going to give you guys a name, and I just want to hear first reaction, the biggest thing that this player needs to do uh, in the off season, so K State can be in a position where they can get back to the. NCAA tournament make a little bit of noise in the Big 12 season. The first one, assuming he comes back, Xavier Sneed. What do we need to see from him? Um, ball handling, get to the rim, a little more shooting, and you know, be the be the man, really. Grant, yeah, I'd say his dribbling and ability to create space and a shot for himself. All right, Cartier Jada. Um, I mean, he would be my. I mean, X would be my 1A. Cardi's kind of my 1B. Can he be the – I mean, he could – I could see him being a, a – make a big jump and being like a second-team all-Big 12 player. You know, maybe I'm putting too much pressure on him. I see him kind of as a one-do type career. 
Um, I think he can be a volume scorer, dynamic player, and I think he might be the key for next year's team. So I would say, you know, I don't, I didn't really give anything specific, but can't he be the man? Yeah, that's exactly like exactly. Take, a, I want him to be able to, to embrace the leadership role and embrace being the guy, and I think he will explode. He needs that that elite mentality. I agree with everything you guys say, and I actually think K State's. Uh, you know, ceiling next year is Cartier being the best player on this team, not Xavier Sneed. I think if we can get to a point where Cartier is undoubtedly the alpha of this team, I think we'll be in a good spot. Um, next one, Swaggy Mike McGurl. Uh, what does he need to do? Um, my, my biggest thing is what is he as a shooter? Is it his Big 12 yeah. 40% or is it his career arc of 28% or whatever it is? So that, you know, attack the rim. I do think he's got – I like his attitude. I like that he's got a chip on his shoulder. And I think he might be our best defender on the team next year. So um, can he get offense to go with being our best defender? I, I pretty much agree. Uh, find a pulse and a and an ID offensively, be more consistent. Um, yeah. Yeah, I want him to take, you know – a thousand three-point shots every day this offseason. You know, the whole the whole conversation this whole offseason was Barry Brown, how many shots he's getting up, how many shots mm-hmm. he's getting up, etc. I don't want Mike to take a step inside the three-point line. Uh, for Mike McGurl, I either want to see him dunking or shooting a three. Um, nothing more, nothing less. Um, we'll go to McCall Maywean. I'm, you know, I, I probably fall closer to the uh, side of fans that get overly frustrated with Mac. Uh, so, you know, I'm probably not the best one to talk about him. Uh, Fan, you have a much more uh, correct view of Mac. What do you want to see from him going into his senior year? I mean, I'd say, you know, number one, stay on the floor. Quit getting stupid fouls in the first five minutes of the game that cause your second foul to come at the 10-minute mark. You know, you got to – that's the biggest one to me. Um, and, and, and get back to being a better finisher around the basket. You know, he had a great – two-point percentage as his first year, last year, this year it dropped a lot, you know, be a more efficient score and then maintain the rebounding. So I would say those things and, you know, be the leader on defense. We need him on the floor 25 to 30 minutes a game. Great. For sure. Uh, Mac needs to limit his offensive turnovers. Um, mm-hmm. I'd like to see him be more direct and aggressive in the paint rather than always seemingly defaulting to, like, a finesse move. Get to the line because he's a phenomenal Phenomenal free throw shooter. <clears throat> yep, I, I agree with all that type of stuff. The only thing I'll add is I really want to see him work on his conditioning because even when he's not in foul trouble, you can see him just gasping for air anytime he's on the floor for more than you know eight to ten minutes at a time. So that's what I'll add there. Uh, Sean Neal Williams, the uh, the prophesized one, as I'm going to call him for now. What does he need to do? Um, I mean, everything. I, I, I hate to bring up this. <laughs> I hate to bring up this comparison. Is just please don't be the next Javon Thomas. I mean, hey, do, do not slander <laughs> Javon Thomas on this podcast. I will. I will let a lot of things go, but I will not stand for any Javon Thomas slander. Um, you know, I I will not stand for that. I will not stand for that. I mean, I mean, I say that because that's you know that's what kind of became the talking point. Yeah, um, yeah. And his his offensive rating is about the same 
as Javon's was as a freshman. I, the thing about Javon is he came – it's kind of similar. He came in much later, though. He came in, what, a semester yep. and played the last half of the year. And I don't think he really ever, ever had a chance. Javon had the same issue coming in late. So – or Sean, the same issue coming in late, but at the beginning of the season at least. Um, I do think, you know, he's he's not quite the true point guard because Javon had, like, hot, gaudy assist numbers and assist-to-turnover ratio, but he just couldn't shoot it. I definitely think Sean Williams is a better offensive player and a better athlete and more skilled, and I think he will be a better player. So I, I'll get that out there. But just become more consistent and, and, and you know, buy in and just, you know, prove that you can be the man at point guard. Hey, all I'm all I'm gonna say about Javon Thomas, and then I'll move on from that, and I'll let Grant talk. Is I th- I think Javon Thomas's very first Big Twelve game was at KU, and he scored double digit points. I think nobody fact check me on that. That's just what I'm gonna go with. Uh, Grant, what is Sean Neal? You you said everything. If you if you could only choose one thing for him to make a big step forward, what would you choose? Uh, his off ball defense. Yeah, um, I, I, I agree 100% yeah, with that one. But to expand on that Javon Thomas thing, a little tidbit about oh. Javon Thomas. I believe that Javon Thomas is canceled, ladies and gentlemen, because he... Yeah, he, 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 he got into some bad stuff after he, he left uh, Let me just read this little excerpt here. Uh, let's Thomas, not. Let's not. Thomas let's hit not. a woman on the head with a suitcase and then threw her <laughs> on the couch and began fighting with her. The woman bit Thomas and attempts to get him off of her, according to the affidavit. And Thomas placed his hands around her neck and began choking her. So yeah, yeah, Sean okay. Thomas is canceled. Okay, buddy. Yeah, I, I'm I, okay. That's fine. I I think I knew he got into some trouble. Um, yeah. So I I will come off of that. I just you know I was convinced he was you know the prophesized one. So that's why Sean Neal was just going to get that nickname until further notice. Um, Trice, he has one year left to make an impact. Uh, you know, fan, what do you need to see from uh, Trice? Well, I mean, the biggest thing is those flashes that he had toward the end of the year, the Oklahoma State game. Um, is that who he can be, or is he the guy that played one minute against uh, Irvine at the, in the tournament? I mean, what's he going to be? I mean, his his energy and rebounding are fantastic, but he's got to learn how to do other things, um, more consistent defense and be able to score a little bit. So I'd say those. Yeah, I'd say overall, just just his overall awareness, both offensive and defense. Um, he needs to get himself into the right positions first before he can worry about anything else. <clears throat> yeah, I, I think the easy cop out is just to say, you know, uh, figure out where you're supposed to be on the floor, um, which basically ties into what you guys both said. And then finally, Levi Stockard, uh, you know, the who, who will be the remaining big left on the roster after next year. He has two years left. What do you need to see from Stockard uh, for the remainder of his career? I mean, I, I sometimes, I you know, you watch him, and I think he might have the best, like, back-to-the-basket post skill set of any of our guys. And he can rebound decently, but can he play – 15 minutes a game or 20 minutes a game and just instead of five, you know, on yeah. a consistent basis. Yeah. I mean, stay on the floor with Levi Stockard and I think he needs to find some sort of identity and get out of his shell. He seems super yeah. timid to me. Maybe yeah, as I, an upperclassman, he'll find that role and, and thrive a little bit, but 
I mean, I, I, I think the, the, the stretch he had in the first half against TCU in the Big 12 tournament, I mean, he, he looked fantastic. Yeah, and it's just I, – I think the biggest thing is just him being able to find that game after game and basically, you know, maybe even contend for sixth man of the year, you know. Come off the bench, play 10, 10 minutes, and get eight points every game. You know, I would I would love that. So uh, we'll just quickly transition to the way too early prediction segment for next year. I'm not going to hold you guys against this. Unlike the eventual show, I'm sure we will record in October where I put everything in cement. You will not be held to anything you say. Uh, so, fan, give me your way too early starting five next year. Uh, I'll go with Sean, Mike, Cardi, X, and Mac. Grant, are you going to dispute any of that? No, I'm not. <laughs> Neither am I. I, I, th- I think it would be awesome if Murphy or Dejuan Gordon could come in and, uh, you know, cement themselves in the starting five or if we get one of those grad transfers. But where we sit right now, I think that's the only that's the smartest prediction you can make. Um, who is going to lead the team in points next season? I'll go with Cardi. Cardi. I will also say Cardi, but if this was the video show, I would be different in saying X because I don't like clean sweeps. So uh, who's <laughs> who's going to lead the team in rebounds next year? Mac. For sure. Yeah, yeah Mac. It's got to be. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say X. Screw it. I, I, can't, I, can't, I can't with myself. Can't have, can't have clean, clean sweeps. Um, will there be anyone on the all-conference first team next year? I mean, I would, I would go with X or Cardi, one of those two. I'm going to say no. Yeesh. Yeah, I'm going to say no, Sorry. but I'm I'm going to say that both of them end up on the second team. Yeah. Um, ultimately, I mean, I, does... I would, and I'll, I'll just copy. I don't. I don't. I'm not saying either one will be. I'd say those two have the best chance. Yes, yeah, for I, sure. I, I agree with you. Um, ultimately, do you guys believe just yes or no? Will K State be? Actually, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a wrinkle to this question. I was going to ask NCAA tournament. I'm going to throw a wrinkle in there. Will K-State play in the round of 64? So losing the play-in game would not count. So will K-State play in the round of 64 next year? Yes, K-State will be a 19. All right, I like that. Grant? Grant, did you mute your mic again? No, I didn't. I we're in. <laughs> okay, we're, we're, we're in. I, I couldn't hear you. I, I actually agree with Fan. I actually think uh, we'll end up – actually, I'll be even more bold. I'm saying we end up being a seven seed and Ooh. all that hater. And we win. <laughs> and we go to the round of 32 and all the haters can suck it. Uh, and also all those weirdos who said that they would prefer a seven seed – uh, over what was the whole talking point? People wanted a seven seed over a four seed. Yeah, yeah. those people. <laughs> those people. Those people will will get their time in the sun because we'll win win the game. They'll think they're super smart, but all the smart people know they actually aren't. Um, so where does K State finish in the Big Twelve next season? Let me say a tie for fifth at nine and nine. Hey, I'd I'd say fifth, ten and eight. I'm going to say fourth, 10 and 8. So same, same record, but finishing fourth. Um, and then uh, finally, okay, uh, we're, we're going to end it, you know, talking. We're going to go back to the seniors um, just because I want to make sure they get enough love. Um, 
from this podcast. So let's just go around final words. Uh, what is the lasting legacy? We're going to start with good basketball player, Cam Stokes. Dan? He's an underappreciated player. Um, he was given an unfortunate tag by some of our fans of being selfish for whatever reason, which was stupid. Um, and then he had to fight through injuries, and he battled, and he played hurt last year. I mean, he missed significant time. I think Lowry said he probably missed 30 games and could have been a 1,500-point score at K-State had he not been hurt. Um, and he should have been a third-team all-league player this year. So, um, you know, I just can't say enough for the way he played this year and the way he played throughout his career. Grant. I have to say that I agree with all of that. Um, I think he's a loved player, but obviously he is underappreciated. He's a guy that I will ma- I massively respect. He's super selfless. He accepted different roles, never complained, stepped up and, you know, had great performances when, you know, we weren't playing well or others weren't playing well. So I love him. Yeah, I mean, the, the only thing I'm going to say about him is uh, there were more t- – I, I would I would actually venture to say there were more games that he played in that he was the best player of those three than than he wasn't. Um, if you go back and if you if you look back at what he did as a freshman, even a sophomore and all this stuff before he got – even last year before he got hurt, I thought he was the best player – of those three. So uh, I think that a lot of folks will talk about, well, what, what could Dean have been if he never gotten hurt? Well, what if Cam was 100% healthy his entire four years? You know, I, I mean, I might be exaggerating saying he, if he was 100% healthy, I mean, Lowry was saying 1500. I mean, why not 1700? Um, It's true. So I, you know, that, that's, that's what I'm going to think about him. I, I, I love the guy and I think he is probably at least, in this new era of K-State basketball, the post-Wooldridge era may be the most underappreciated guy uh, of, you know, that entire time period. Um, so we'll go to Barry Brown, uh, fan. Take it away. I mean, I, my, in my mind, he is still the kind of a heartbeat and the soul of, of the rebuild, turnaround, whatever you want to call it, um, since 2015. I really have always thought with Bruce – with Bruce's dynamic and personality, you need kind of an alpha player. And I think probably anybody in college basketball does, but I think we really do. And he had that. And I think he um, became the leader of this team. And, you know, for a three-star kid out of Florida that we kind of took a shot on, he made the most out of his career here. And, uh, you know, he gave us a lot of great moments, game-winning plays and things like that as fans. So a lot of respect for Barry. Agree. To add to that, you know, he's someone who transformed himself from a wiry and unpolished three-star guard to, a, you know, a phenomenal leader and a champion and a guy that does have many moments in all of our minds that will never die. You know, his final game does not tarnish his legacy to me at all. You know, I've already kind of forgotten about that game, to be completely honest. But, you know, he, he's he's – essential to the rebuild and you know he got the program back on track with with help from his surroundings but he's always going to be a legend to me yeah the the one thing i'm going to remember um isn't even about how he how he played but i think he was the first player post frank 
that the fans were ever truly able to fall in love with again. Mm -hmm. I think that early on in Bruce's tenure, uh, there was a disconnect, not only from the fans, but the students as well. Uh, Weirdly, I just don't think there was ever a love affair and a connection to the players. Like, yes, Wesley Awandu ended up being pretty good. And DJ Johnson, I think, uh, you know, I think was overrated by our fans, but I don't think there was ever a true love affair with these guys that we saw constantly during the Frank era. I mean, you know, you still can talk to fans and they're obsessed with, you know, Bill Walker, Michael Beasley, like even guys who weren't all-time greats like Dominique Sutton. I love Dominique Sutton, and he did not contribute anywhere near as much in the macro as some of the guys during the Bruce era. But Barry was the first guy that fans truly were able to just go all in on. So that's what I'm going to remember about Barry. Um, We'll wrap it up with the Kansas kid, Dean Wade, fan. Just a special talent. I mean, if you look at his skill set, you know, it's not certainly not at that level, but it's the closest we've seen since Beasley for a, for a big guy to be able to do what he can do, shoot it and score it uh, in mid range and around the basket and rebound and, and pass the ball. I mean, he just did so many things very well. Um, but, but really, you know, unfortunately for Dean of, of no fault of his own, um, we'll always think what might've been with him. You know, I clearly, hundred percent believe if he was healthy all year, we're outright big 12 champs and we might still be playing tonight. Um, without a doubt that, you know, and last year you never know, maybe in the final four. So you always, I mean, you always have those thoughts like, you know, like Lowry said on the coffee with Chris, you know, in 20 years, we'll, we'll misremember and think about how great he was in the tournament. But you know, the dude played against Wake Forest and Cincinnati and that's all we got. And I just hate it for him. Um, but that's how injuries, you know, were ended his two tournament runs for him. But he was a special player, no doubt. And, you know, back-to-back first team, all Big 12 kind of speaks for itself. Yeah, um, a Big 12, a true, truly a Big 12-year caliber player, um, as good as advertised, but just extremely unlucky. <clears throat> yep, I, I agree with both those things. Um for, for better or worse, you I think I will remember not being able to uh, go all in on the tournament his last two years. Um, but I think that, and I've come full circle on this, um, because I, I was one of the people who questioned his toughness, and I, I would take small things out here from people who have later turned out to probably not be reliable folks and kind of ran with it last year questioning his toughness. I think what we saw, how he made sure he came back this past year, and at least my hypothesis of playing through injuries even more than we know, um, that the guy ended up being way tougher than he probably will be given credit for. And uh, I'm just as much a part of the you know problem with how that went as the solution. So, um Hopefully 20 years from now, it, it isn't just that, because I do think he is, when you look at just pure talent, the most talented K-State basketball player in my life, sans Michael Beasley and maybe Bill Walker. So um, 
That's why I'll believe about him, and we're going to wrap it up with the most Bosco's boys question I can think of because this was a not even a controversy. This was a talking point that was 100% manufactured out of thin air, uh, probably by me, uh, just because I like controversy. I famously, to some people, went out on Twitter and said Barry Brown was not a Rafters player uh, halfway through the season. I've cooled on that a little bit. I think my official stance now that he got defensive player of the year and first team all big 12 was, you know, what? he can go in. I'm not going to fight for it. I'm not going to fight against it. Um, but since neither him nor Dean Wade look like they're going to get any sort of all American attention, honorable mention or otherwise, what is your official? This is March 30th, 2019 stance on those two going in the rafters. I would say um, I don't have a, I wouldn't have a problem with it, but I also probably wouldn't go to battle for either. I mean, I've, I've said several times that I think I want to see you at least get mentioned as an all, all American honorable mention or something. And I'm not sure either guy will or has. So um, I think clearly Dean without injury would have been for sure. And maybe Barry, if he doesn't get injured down the stretch this year, whatever happened, um, would be up there, but um, like I said, I won't. I won't be up at this point if they are. But it's not something that I would say for sure they should be either. Grant, um, I mean, I think yeah, I kind of fall in the same same category. People put so much into this. <laughs> People are like obsessed with this. Uh, but I, I think know, they'll the, both the, go the, up. The, I, I I think they'll both go up, honestly. But. Um, and, and, yeah, I mean, I I wouldn't be, like, shocked if they didn't, though. I don't know. Yeah, and, and, and again, the, the, the reason why I decided to include is because it, it literally created uh, quite an interesting fire. I got some of the worst tweets I've ever seen in my life was because of my statement on that. So that's why I decided to include it. Again, I actually think that of the two – Dean being one of the only back-to-back first-team all-conference players we've ever had would make him the one more likely to go up. But that's that's where I'm going to leave it. Um, fan, thank you for you know helping us end the 2018-19 uh, basketball season. Um, do you have any final statements? It's a fun year. Uh, thanks for having me on. You know, I, I always enjoy coming on with you guys and talking basketball and. You know, I look I look forward to to a good future of K State basketball. Um, uh, it's been a fun ride with this team and this group of seniors, and we'll miss them. But it's also I always enjoy even when heavy turnover happens. It's kind of fun to look and think about what's going to change and what might happen. So I do look forward to next year. I think it's going to be fun. Probably more frustrating, but it's still fun to see teams develop. Grant, any final words on this season? It was a great year. A year to remember, um, hoisting that uh, Big 12 championship and clinching it at home was one of my better memories, and uh, that Cardi dunk was one of the most enjoyable sports minutes that I've seen in person. Uh, it was just complete pandemonium, so there's just great moments from this year that I will, I will never forget, um, and the players that did it are just so likable, so it was a great year, ended disappointingly, but... 
a lot of years that are great and disappointingly for a lot of people. So it is what yeah. it is. That is sports. Um, we're officially in the off season, baby. Yep. I, I got nothing else to add. Um, I just want to say fan, thank you for coming on. I think again, it's gonna, when, when the history books write the story of Bosco's boys, it's going to be you and Matt Hall fighting for most uh, guest <laughs> appearances. So I, I appreciate you always being willing to hop on with us. Thanks a lot. All right, we love you guys. Meet me at the Cathead.
Social Podcast Network.